you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. The Needle Needle. Good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike of the Down East Mike Podcast. Welcome to Saturday, uh, April 29th, 2023. If you're just getting up, I'm sorry. Uh, this is Down East Mike, episode 86. News and commentary for this day. We're going to start off with our disclaimer, just in case there's some lawyerly type person listening. Some of this is whimsy, some of it's true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. And also, we like to ask, did you know that Down East Mike podcast contains no mean words, just wholesome goodness from Down East Maine, a historical literary auditory candy store. And did you hear the bells on the door when you came in? Basically, this podcast is about as wholesome as a Maine blueberry, a fog, a foggy shore-raised blueberry. In the podcast today, we have... Uh, an atomic plant big boost for Wiscasset, uh, April 28, 1974. Adam the Police Dog, April 28, 1974. He actually plays a minor part in the story, but we thought it was a catchy headline. The Old People of Booth Bay, April 28, 1892. We have the illness of the instant, and we have Maine's honorary mammal of the moment. An exciting little critter there. Let's look at the world headlines if you're just getting up. The U.S. Army is grounding all non-critical aircraft after latest fatal mid-air collision. It's a massive fire at a fuel site in Russian-occupied Crimea after suspected drone strike. Why are the drone strikes always suspected? Why don't they don't they have like drones that can take pictures of the drones so they know what's actually going on? Bill Maher, oh, Elon Musk, they have names that are hard to pronounce early in the day. Discuss woke mind virus, Twitter takeover, and AI during a real-time interview on Fox News. You remember Fox News, right? They used to be a cable network. Jack Nicholson, easy for me to say, makes a rare public appearance at the Lakers playoff game. All is right in the world when Jack is back at ringside for the NBA. Uh, anything else? Um, just talking about Biden running again for president. He'll be 108 when he leaves office. That's the world international headlines going on in Maine. Maine issues a notice of violation to a rail company over release of sediment into waters near derailment site. Every time a train goes off the tracks, there's some stuff that spills somewhere, despite what they say. Home-cooked meals business says Maine, says the state violated Maine's right to food amendment. And they're suing a, a, a company there. Where are they located? Kenduskeg Kitchen, the Kenduskeg Stream. I don't think you want food out of that, but the operators of a small home kitchen business in Penobscot County have sued the state after regulators ordered them to stop preparing meals for customers in the rural community because they lack a state license. They say the action uh, 
violates Maine's food sovereignty, sovereignty law and a constitutional right to food amendment adopted by Maine voters in 2021. They're asking the court to allow the business to resume sales of its gourmet carry-out meals while the lawsuit makes its way through court. It's a tough thing trying to make money in food sales. A lot of work with little payback, isn't it? Okay, let's look at uh, oh, our illness of the instant, knitter's knee. Knitter's knee inflicts possibly uh, two out of every 10 knitters, in primarily in the, in the New England states, uh, but knitter's knee can be recognized by its manifestation in a painful knee condition where the balls of yarn that have been sitting on the knee unwind and they kind of wear a groove on the top of just where the, the kneecap meets the, the fatty part of the thigh. And the knitter's knee, uh, there's, a, there's a remedy for it. They have a new uh, patch that you put on, the knitter's knee patch, and they sell those, I think, in a uh, it's a 10-pack. They're, they're pretty reasonable. It's under $20. A knitter's knee patch. And you put that patch on and then you knit on top of it. And it alle alleviates knitter's knee and all its symptoms. That's something that in your, if you're having like a bitch and stitch uh, sewing circle, that you could, you could actually do like multi-level marketing with that. And so look for Knitter's Knee at your local drugstore. Again, you can promote it uh, through your, your Knitter's Circle. We have a place name. Oh, and by the way, nothing on the Down East Mike podcast should be construed as actual medical advice. A lot of it's just silliness. Uh, in case you couldn't tell. The place name of the day, Lunenburg. We had to go to Nova Scotia again because we like the names of the towns up there. Lunenburg. L-U-N-E-N-B-U-I-G. This place at one time was named Malagash and also called Merlagush. And Melagek is no doubt the uh, Indian word for milk. And it is generally conceded that this was the origin of the name Malagash. The name is first mentioned in 1630. It's said to mean milky surf or Milky Bay, referring to its white appearance in a storm. The Indians also called this place ascetic, meaning clam land or place of clams. And Desbresse quoted Rand as saying that the Indian spelling was M-A-L-L-I-G-G-L-A-K, meaning malbad, and the termination meaning inherent and inanimate. This is a whole lot of words to apply to just a town that goes by the name of Lunenburg today. In 1630, Sir William Alexander granted to Sir Claude de saint Etienne, Lord of Latour, and his son Charles, a large stretch of lands along the coast which included Malagash. This is really something. If you've ever been to Lunenburg, it's a nice town. It's a port town on the south shore of Nova Scotia. It was founded in 1753. It was actually one of the first British attempts to settle Protestants in Nova Scotia. One way to get the Protestants settled. The economy was traditionally based on offshore fishery. Today, Lunenburg is the site of Canada's second a largest secondary fish processing plant. It flourished in the late 1800s 
and much of the historic architecture dates from that period. Significant in that it was a planned community for the time. The Micmac lived in a territory uh, from the present site of Lunenburg all the way extending up to Mahone Bay, uh, which is where those uh, Tom Selleck uh, TV series, uh, the, the Private Eye one, was filmed. As many as 300 inhabited the area in the warm summer months. French colonists who became known as Acadians settled in the area around the 1620s, and the Acadians and Micmac coexisted peacefully, imagine that. Some intermarried, creating networks of trade and kinship. 1688, 10 Acadians and 11 Micmac were resident with dwellings in a small area of cultivated land. By 1745, there were eight families, and then they, they founded uh, Lunenburg. Well, that was a lot. We won't do birthdays today because I've already run over time. The advertisers get real nervous and they start slapping me down, threatening to cut my power off. On this day in 1974, the atomic plant in, uh, in West Cassett was uh, providing a big economic boost to the town. They're referencing also Vernon, Vermont, where a Vermont Yankee was. When Irma Puffer, if you had a name, last name Puffer, wouldn't you change it? When Irma Puffer sits down to have her morning coffee, she looks out at her kitchen window past the green Vermont countryside for a column of white vapor. When I see the vapor, I know the plant is operating today, the 52-year-old grandmother says quietly. The vapor is noticeable, but it's really not that bad. It's harmless, and I'd rather see that than black smoke rising from some factory. The plume of white vapor rolling through the hills is the most obvious sign of an industry in Vernon. And that industry, which is the new lifeblood of the town of 1200, is Vermont's only nuclear power plant. And they go on about the, the Vernon one. Uh, the support in Vernon appears almost as uh, unwavering as it does in Wiscasset, even though the Vermont atomic plant has had more than its share of technical problems. In Wiscasset, the construction and operation of Maine Yankee nuclear power plant has been relatively trouble-free. Um, we wanted to mention about the, oh yeah, in Wiscasset, the town's 2,500 residents enjoy the benefits of a lower tax rate and numerous civic improvements because of Maine Yankee. The plant don't bother me much says John Connors, a 62-year-old fish vendor who has lived in Wiscasset for 30 years. What was he doing the rest of the time? I can see it, the plant from my house, and it don't seem to bother my neighbors either. The plant helps keep the taxes down, and we've only seen the benefits so far. As Connors sold his shrimp and assorted seafood specialties, sea cucumbers maybe, in Wiscasset's tiny business area on a recent Saturday, scores of his friends and neighbors out doing their weekly shopping voiced similar support for nuclear power. The people of Wiscasset and Vernon, Vermont are well tutored about nuclear power because of extensive media coverage and well-organized public relations campaigns by the power companies. And anyway, that goes on and on about that. Uh, and of course, that plant is decommissioned today. There's a picture here of the tanker delivering oil to St. John. Four football games could be played at one time aboard this floating 
oil field, one of the largest ships ever to come into North Atlantic. The nearly 1,200-foot Japanese Kinkimaru is one in a growing number of super tankers carrying crude oil around the world. The 260,000 dead weight tons of cargo is being offloaded near St. John, New Brunswick at sea through an underwater pipe for storage prior to its refinery operations. When empty, the main deck will be nearly 100 feet above the water. That must displace a lot of water. We had an ad on this day, 1974, just, just beautiful, from Sears, two days only. It was the end of month, red tag sale. Sears, Bangor, open Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night until 9 p.m. Can you imagine the tingle of excitement at leaving your house, say, at 8.15 on a Friday night, knowing you're going to be at Sears for last call at 9 p.m., maybe buying a package of T-shirts or an oil filter. Uh, what did we have? Nylon short sets, $1.97. Men's short sleeve knit sports shirts for $3.97. Again, this is before they learned to round up to the 99s. Sun shield window shades, 477. A lot of garbage. They did have jeans and slacks closeouts, three for $12. That would be something that you would stack on the bureau and probably never wear. Color portable TV with 18 inch picture. Too bad nothing was on the air. Colonial studio couch, $109. Then I start looking at stuff in here, and this is 1974. Automatic garage door opener for $124. Pre-hung aluminum cross box storm screen door, shallow jet pump, half horsepower. And I look at all this stuff and I realize these are things that I'm replacing today around the house. So that was their shelf life. Too bad they wouldn't bring Sears back with those prices. I could buy it all. There was a theft in Mercedes. $29,000, a lot of money, a break at the home of the Masadas town clerk last Friday, which netted thieves approximately twenty-nine k in cash. Stocks and bonds is under investigation. De Deputy Sheriff Luke Wider of Presque Isle told the newspaper Sunday that three men entered the home of Masadas town clerk Julia Godding on Friday at noon and broke into a safe containing about $37,000 in valuables total. Three men, all in their mid-twenties, they entered a side door in the rear of the residence and broke into a heavy metal safe containing money, stocks, and bonds, and other valuables belonging to both the Goddings and the town. The thieves, thieves reportedly pried open the safe with crowbars and hammers belonging to Chester Godding, the husband of the town clerk, the intruders managed to steal $1,000 in cash and then a lot of mutual funds and also five checkbooks bearing Chester Godding's name. And conveniently, Mrs. Godding, her husband, her mother, Mrs. Essie Connie, were not home at the time of the theft. But the bandits did miss $8,000 in savings bond, silver dollars, $800 in cash, which belonged to her mother. These people had some money. Neighbors told the police that the thieves who spent about half an hour executing the theft were riding in a pale yellow 
late model Ford station wagon bearing a main registration. They reportedly headed south on Route 11. Uh, goes on and on about it, but uh, we did a little follow-up. We have never found out where this, uh, anybody was ever caught for this. Uh, thieves also opened a filing cabinet which contained various papers, but it has not been determined what's missing. Mrs. Godding said the description of the men provided by the neighbors, dark complexions, medium builds, dark hair and clothes. It appears to fit her description of three men who had visited her earlier last week, inquiring about hunting licenses at that time. Mrs. Godding informed them that she would not be at home Friday after they indicated they might return to acquire licenses. Yeah, that wouldn't raise any red flags. Oh, we're here to get some hunting license. Uh, what days will you not be home? Uh, this day, 1974, at the Bounty Tavern, they were suggesting you could try the Bounty for lunch, a great place to girl watch, entertainment and dancing nightly, tonight featuring Daybreak in Puddin'. And uh, Sunday, it was St. Elmo's Fire, proper dress required, but probably not for the girls if you're going to do girl watching. Sheraton Inn in Bangor, 500 Main Street in Bangor. It's got a picture of the bounty ship. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday was Your Date Eats Free at the Carriage Inn. And you could also dine and dance to the music of Cliff Dumphany. Ah, I just love to go out dancing when Cliff's playing. Uh, this day in 1974, we had American Graffiti. American Graffiti in the theaters. We had uh, Don't Look Now with Donald Sutherland and Ju Julie Christie. No one's ever heard of that. And also Zardoz was playing. I challenge you to take a picture of uh, Sean Connery in Zardoz in one of the promo pictures. Try to unsee that. Unfortunately, I did. And uh, I am scared for life. Zardoz was playing at seven and nine. No film since Kubrick's Space Odyssey has used such a blazing display of photographic ingenuity to suggest a time beyond tomorrow. It went on to gross about a, a million dollars worldwide, a total bomb, but today has enjoyed some sort of a resurgence among, uh, it's a cult favorite just because it's so bizarre. Uh, and the way that John Borman, uh, he's, he actually had some good movies too, but the, the way that John Borman was able to get financing for it uh, was they, he gave the uh, studio uh, contact, he gave him just an hour to read the script and, and he said it was yes or no, pass or fail. And I guess the, uh, the studio dude, was his hand was shaking when he signed off on it and then they had to, really try to promote it, and of course it never did take off. Zardoz, Z-A-I-D-O-Z. Yeah, I, I, I caution you on seeing that trailer. Okay, uh, the night police beat, there was a hassle at the Sheridan Inn, one we just talked about uh, in Bangor Saturday night. It resulted in the arrest of a juvenile female, sounds like an alien species, for felonious trespassing, and a young Bangor man for felonious trespassing and contributing to the delinquency of a minor. According to Bangor police, a call came in around 8.30 p.m. from the Sheridan that some people had broken into an unoccupied room, 
and it took Sergeant James Foley, Sergeant Robert Seabreeze, Officers Mike Crowley and Robert Stutzman, along with Adam the police dog, and they all responded to the call. When the officers entered the room, two young girls and one man jumped over the balcony railing and dropped two stories to the ground. Another man tried to run out the door, but he was captured by Stutzman and Adam. Assistant manager of the Sheridan, Jack Steiger, who was with Sergeant Foley, jumped over the railing from the room next door and grabbed the girl. The other girl and man escaped down the street. Police said several young people showed up later at the room, but managed to make it to a car and get away. Police theorizing that a party was planned as several six packs of beer were found. Isn't that something? These are the kinds of crimes that we want to bring back because uh, they're just a gentler time. The crimes were easy to get your head around. Also, early Saturday morning, a local cab driver told police that two men that he had taken uh, to a tavern had ripped him off for $3. However, the men denied the charge. Uh, Hancock Street, a woman reported two boys broke the front window to her store. Rock was thrown through the principal's window at Union Street Junior High School. A tape player was stolen from a car on Union Street, two bikes on Griffin Road. And a basset hound was found wandering around Valley Street on Saturday. The dog had a collar. It's being kept by a Valley Street resident. You can contact the police for more information. What great crimes. They also published in the paper at this time marriage intentions. Now today, I don't think we'd see this sort of thing, but in Bangor, Mark Boudreaux, assistant sales manager at a music store, and Deborah Cohen, who's a secretary receptionist at a bank, they had intentions to marry. Also, Anthony Richard, a clerk at the University of Maine, and Rosemary Faulkner, who was a beautician in Old Town. And Joseph McNeil, supply personnel in Bangor, and Darlene DiNardo, a student and bus driver in Hampton. Who else was getting married? Jack Story, he's a tire repairman, and Viola Bradbury, nurse's aide. David Hatt, who's an AV technician, and Carol Lawson, who's in the Air Force. How about this little uh, marriage proposal? Christopher Eaton, Pizza Hut employee, and Linda Joy, Pizza Hut employee. Now, I wonder where they met. David Whitfield, Glass Glazer, and Diane Mailman, clerk. All these people had marriage intentions on this day in 1974. What's remarkable is that they all had jobs and middle initials. Uh, okay, let's roll it back to 1892. We'll do a little bit of older stuff from this day, 1892. Early Friday morning, the schooner Mary Wilson was lying at the draw pier at Nobles Island, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and it caught on a ring bolt. And then when the tide fell, the entire stem was torn out completely, wrecking the vessel. The schooner was built uh, I can't quite read that, but uh, Salaru in 1873, and it was uh, 97.25 gross tonnage owned by, in Calus by F.H. Todd. There was no insurance. Oh, dear. 
uh, blows freely exchanged between the superintendent of police and an Exeter, New Hampshire student. This is from this day in 1892. The superintendent of police and an academy senior last night had a personal encounter on the street in which blows were freely exchanged. The affair grew out of the students whistling and singing on the street and uh, chasing the superintendent. The student was arrested and will appear in court tomorrow. So don't whistle on the street. Uh, Mr. Merrill's steam mill at Lackens Corner in Stetson was burned recently with about 70,000 shingles. That Those shingles belonged to Mr. John Ireland of North Newport in the fire caught in the dry grass. Also in uh, Abbott, the farm buildings belonging to Anders Anderson on the center road. That was totally burned. It was from a burning brush heap. They didn't have any insurance either. Nathaniel Bridges, who died recently in Charlotte, was one of the oldest men in town, having nearly reached the age of 89 years. He was well known in eastern Washington County as a lumberman and framer of farm buildings. I bet he left a legacy. He was a hunter and trapper of note, having killed the same number of bears as marked the years of his life. Wow, he was a mean guy around the bears, though. Jefferson Neely of Monroe was at work on the town road machine and in some manner caught his foot in the cogs of the wheels so that the sole of his rubber boot was taken off together with the ball of his foot. Mr. Neely placed the flesh in its former position, bound it to his foot, and then rode to the village some distance away where he was attended by a physician. During a recent grass fire at Peaks Island, the flame spread to a graveyard and burned over only two graves. The queer part of it was that these two graves were not near together, and one was that of the wife of a man who had recently married the widow of the occupant of the other grave. I can't keep this stuff straight. Uh, Reverend Lyman Abbott, formerly of Maine, who's the successor of Henry Ward Beecher in Plymouth Church, Brooklyn, is a thin, delicate, small-limbed man. Humor is not in his line, and he rarely makes his congregation smile. Not long ago, however, he involuntarily made them titter. The subject of his sermon was the obligation resting upon Christians to get out of their shells and do something for the good of mankind. What is this wonderful body of ours given us for, Dr. Abbott exclaimed. Look at it. Look at these muscles. Dr. Abbott stretched out his thin arms. Look at this strength, this adaptability, this God-given vigor. Something in the expression of the faces of the members of the congregation in a rustling like a faint titter recalled the preacher to himself, and with a faint smile he passed to another phase of the sermon. The humor is very subtle back then. A journal traveler a few days ago, while dining at a hotel in a Piscataquis town, I can't imagine they'd have a hotel there, was surprised at the rattle of a telegraph instrument in one corner of the room. Instantly, the waiter girl dropped her dishes and seated herself at the instrument and began to receive a message by sound with all the ease of an expert and to answer back with equal readiness. 
It appeared that this was the village telegraph office and she its manager. The incident shows how easily that Yankee girls can adapt themselves to circumstance. A young woman in Blaine, Maine, whose father died in an Andersonville prison, draws a government pension on that account, but she needs it. She's only 28 years old, but her chest measure is 65 inches, waist is 61, and she weighs 415 pounds. She is unable to stand longer than a minute or two. Speaking of health, people live to a great age in the seaport town of Booth Bay. Here are six examples taken from the local news of the town during the past week. Captain John McFarlane is recovering from an attack of pneumonia. He is 83 years old and vigorous. Charles Giles, who is over 90 years old, recently sang tenor in the village choir for an hour, and he read the hymn book without the aid of glasses. Captain John Murray, also over 90, drives daily to Booth Bay Harbor. He saws and splits all of his firewood and is deeply interested in politics. Captain William Carlyle is 94, well and strong, and very little goes on that he doesn't know about. Mrs. Pinkham, mother of the selectman Wesley Pinkham, is 96, and she hears and sees perfectly and enjoys life as well as the next one. Mrs. Gove, older than any of the others, has just recovered from a long illness and resumed her knitting. Next year, she'll be a centurion, centurion, and I wonder if she has knitter's knee. She may. What else should we do here? we got a few minutes left. Let's do, um, uh, let's see, that, that's not that old, a train of elevator cuts. From an elevator point of view, the new Masonic Temple building in Chicago will be the most important in the world. It will have... 24 cars built in a circular shaft having a 250-foot rise. There will be express elevators, way, and freight machines, a freight train, sorry. The first will go to the top floor without stopping, while the others will stop either at every floor or at the 5th, 10th, 15th, and so on. They will not run at full speed, probably because passengers do not like the sensation of flying. 24 cars in a Masonic Temple building in Chicago. I don't know if that's still around, but that will be something to look into. Uh, James McCarty of Gaskell Township, one of the most unique characters of Jefferson County and perhaps of the state. He died on Friday, 1892 actually, aged 79 years. His death was caused by overheating himself, dancing in the open air. For old as McCarty was, he could still keep step to a tone in a very lively fashion. He'd often play the violin and dance to the music for half an hour at a time, greatly to the amusement of onlookers. For years, his occupation has been hunting, and up to the time of his last illness, he was remarkably active. He just danced a little bit too much. And now, it's time for our main honorary mammal of the moment, the mongoose. Wow, the dwarf mongoose. Great picture here. Hello, Gale Pavula. One of nearly three dozen species of small, bold, predatory carnivores found mainly in Africa, but also in southern Asia and southern Europe and Puerto Rico. Mongooses are noted for their audacious attacks 
on highly venomous snakes such as king cobras. Do they have queen cobras? The 33 species belong to 14 genera, the most common, probably best known, of the 10 species of the genus Herpestes, among which are the Egyptian mongoose. That's the one that we see fighting there. Oh, it was made famous as Rikitiki Tavi in Rudyard Kipling's Jungle Books. He wrote those in 1894, 1895. Did you ever look at Rudyard Kipling's house there in Dummerston, Vermont? It's long and narrow. They put his office at the end of the house, and the only way you could get to it was you had to go pass through his wife, and that was to make sure he didn't have just drop-ins. we got to go look at that, too. All right, back to the mongoose. Mongooses are short-legged animals with pointed noses, small ears, long furry tails. The claws do not retract, and in most species, there are five toes on each foot. The fur is gray to brown and commonly grizzled, or flecked with lighter gray. Uh, let's see, the, the dwarf mongoose is only 7 to 10 inches with an 8 inch long tail. It's like a little weasel. The largest mongoose is the white-tailed mongoose, which can be up to 28 inches long uh, with a tail that may extend up to 18 inches, more like a fisher. They live in burrows. They feed on small mammals, birds, reptiles, eggs, and occasionally fruit. And a number of the mongooses will attack and kill venomous snakes. They depend on speed and agility, darting at the head of the snake and cracking the skull with a powerful bite. Mongooses are bitten occasionally. However, they possess a glycoprotein that binds to proteins in the snake venom, deactivating them and making them harmless. Go ahead and bite me. See if I wince. A number of species are noted for their peculiar peculiar habit of opening eggs as well as food items with hard shells. The animal stands on its hind legs and it hits the egg against the ground. Sometimes it carries the egg to a rock and standing with its back to the rock, throws the egg between its legs and against the rock until the shell is broken. Early reports of this behavior met with skepticism but have been verified by other observers. The Malagasy narrow-striped mongoose exhibits the same behavior but lies on its side and uses all four feet to toss the egg. Isn't that remarkable? The main honorary mammal of the moment, the mongoose. Okay, that's about it. Let's look at uh, weather forecast for today. It's currently 43 degrees. Sure has been cold spring. Uh, for today, Saturday, April 29th, it's uh, partly sunny with a high near 59, southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour, gusting as high as 20, however. Uh, for Sunday, showers likely before 2 p.m., then rain mainly after 2 p.m., a high only near 46 degrees. Monday rain, Tuesday rain, anyway, um, I don't see sun in the forecast. It is still spring. Spring in Maine, Down East Maine. Well, until next time, this is Down East Mike wishing you and your loved ones a day that is full of grace, love, and kindness. We'll see you. Someone keep my car door. I'm not so sure I want to live in Maine anymore. 
I'm driving to Vermont Where the hills are green And the people there are seldom mean Except when they're texting Gonna learn to drive my motorcycle in the snow Gonna climb those green mountains Till there's nowhere left to go Gonna paddle my canoe down the Winooski River I'm driving to Vermont I'm driving to Vermont Brattleboro, here we go, Marlboro too A Wilmington and Dover, Jamaica, look at you I'm driving in Vermont I'm driving in Vermont I'm going to Peru and Dorset too Gonna jump into Lake Champlain Wash away the pain Gonna learn to drive my motorcycle in the rain. Gonna climb those green mountains. I'll paddle my canoe down the Winooski River. I'm driving to Vermont. I'm driving to Vermont. Searsburg and Grafton, Athens too. I'm driving in Vermont. Putney and Pulteney, Bennington and Rupert. I'm driving in Vermont. A maple leaf just flew over my head. My motorcycle in the snow Gonna climb those green mountains Till there's nowhere left to go Gonna paddle my canoe down the Winooski River I'm driving